Um, hey, do you need me to record my audio on my end? No, I'm recording all of it here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Dear listener, to episode number two of Hot Coffee for the Creative Soul. My name is Ryan Castellez from Discourse Coffee, and I am your host for this series of talks with professional creatives at the intersection of passion and profit. How to pursue a sustainable living while maintaining your artistic integrity. This week, we have an incredible conversation with my longtime friend, professional musician Luke Rivard, based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Under my voice right now and soon to be in your eardrums again is Hereafter off Luke's solo project, Riverbug incredible music by the multi-instrumentalist, each part written by Luke and performed by his network of incredible musical friends. I'm going to let you enjoy this track and be right back to you at the end.
thank you for joining me for episode two of Hot Coffee for the Creative Soul. If you tuned in to my conversation with Marcus Perkansky of Misfit Coffee last week, thank you so much. I really hope you got as much value out of that conversation as I did from having it. In talking with Marcus this last week, we've both listened to the episode probably (laughs) four or five times. Uh, So if you haven't heard it yet, uh, the beauty of this podcast and of Spotify and Apple Music all of these episodes are stored. Go on back to episode number one and give that pupper a listen. I think you would definitely derive some value from the conversation we had. This week's flavor is a little bit different. I sat down with my childhood best friend, uh, Luke Rivard, who has been my number one homie uh, throughout life. Just an incredible person. But we didn't just sit down to chat. Lucas spent the last decade pursuing life as a professional musician. This is definitely a chat of a different character than last week. Luke and I focus primarily on the philosophy of creativity, what it means to be creative, how it feels to create, and how we approach creativity in a way that is generative and healthy. We talk about embracing a process-centric approach as opposed to a reward-centric approach that many of us naturally gravitate to. And Luke's journey to embrace the process has brought him through all different styles of music and all around the world. He has twice studied music in Ghana. Luke being a percussionist, he studied a Ghanaian form of percussion called the Gil with Bayer Yotere, a world-renowned Gil grandmaster and maker. On his last trip to Ghana, he actually recorded a small album for Bayer and created a website for him to get his music out to the world. In college at Lawrence University, he led an African dance group called Kinkaviwa, and he has composed in its entirety an EP under the name of Riverbug as a multi-instrumentalist in which he has written the parts for guitar, piano, drums, vocals. He is a multi-talented master creative who has dedicated his life to understanding the art of creativity. And I cannot wait for you to hear what he has to say. I know that you will receive a tremendous amount of value from this conversation. Before you heard Hugh after off his EP Riverbug, and to conclude the episode, I'll be including the song Moonbeam, the closing track on his record. You can find Riverbug on Spotify or on YouTube, and I highly, highly recommend you do because it is some of the most stirring music you will listen to this year. Check that out. But without further ado, here is my conversation with the one and only Luke Rivard. I'm trying to talk to creatives across a span of mediums 
and see, you know, like how does how does it differ for, you know, me running a book and mortar versus like you running a basically an independent music career. And now you are design, you know, it's like, how, how do these journeys take place? What right. is it like? And bringing people into that, because I feel like what that silence does, like what, what our inability to talk about this does, is it makes a lot of creatives feel like they are the only ones going through that struggle. And totally. it's, it's so not true. All of us, everybody is going through that struggle unless you've made it, which what even is that? So that doesn't exist. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it literally like, doesn't exist. We have to, we have to talk about this. And even if just one person listens to this at some point and they're like, yo, like other people feel the way I feel. Like I, yeah, I, definitely. I, I there's a sense of camaraderie here. You know, uh-huh. I, I think that'll be like with all of it. So yeah. I have so many thoughts. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me and thanks for being interested in my take on all of it. Always interested in your take. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm I, like I said, I'm super excited. And like these are conversations that I love having because like you said, it's not talked about enough. And if it is talked about, it's with people that are in your immediate circle. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it, it's out of almost like desperation because you like got to get it off your chest. If you're struggling, like that's where. Which at that point, it's like already too late, right? It's like, exactly. it's like, then you're yeah. like man, I'm like, so like, talk me off the ledge, man. Talk me off the ledge. Like that's, that's what that conversation is. And, you know, I think we need to, as creatives start, developing support groups or whatever whatever it is you know like just the ability to support each other so that we don't get to the ledge because like yeah have you ever met a creative who has tried to make a living off of their creativity off of their passion who hasn't stood on that ledge i haven't literally everybody i've met who has tried to pursue their passion for a living like you get to that ledge at some point if you yeah. haven't been to that ledge like i don't think you've been in the game long enough you know it's like it's like that's but that's a fault of the system you know and and it's right. a fault of the fact that we aren't able to openly and freely discuss the fact that like, hey man, maybe my business isn't doing so hot. Like I know I'm supposed to like wear this cool hat and like look like the cool young business owner who's got his stuff together, but like, I'm not. Like I have no (laughs) idea what I'm doing. Like I'm flailing as much as anybody else, you know? And, And like, to be able to say that and to be able to have that that space to be vulnerable is so <clears throat> unbelievably important and something that a lot of creatives I just feel it's only robbed of. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I obviously know you. You've been my best friend since we could walk. But <laughs> for, for the people that don't know you, tell the world a little bit about you and also how your creative journey started. When was that moment for you when you were like, this is what I love doing. I don't see myself being able to do anything else and be, and be happy. Like, what, when was that moment when you were like, oh, I, I guess this is who I am? That's a good question. When I was younger, I loved to draw. I don't know if you remember, oh, but yeah. in school, I loved drawing. And that was my first like artistic passion, I would say. Whether it was drawing things in my room, I loved drawing cartoons. I remember so vividly going to these classes that were held at one of the art stores where Mark Kistler, a great cartoonist, would hold these cartoon classes. He did like some shows on PBS or something. That's rad. Yeah, but Alec... And I would go to those classes and learn how to draw people cartoons and animal cartoons and stuff like that. And I I just loved to draw. And towards maybe like sixth grade or or like once I hit puberty, that passion (laughs) sort of turned into skateboarding, I guess. My friends and I picked up skateboarding and that then became our like new passion and we would just spend a ton of time skateboarding and I mean drawing was still present then like skateboarding brands have great cartoon logos and like we would draw those logos all the time and it was a blast and I I did take piano lessons when I was younger I think it was maybe first through fourth grade and I hated piano I did I told my piano teacher on my last day I was like I hate this. I'm never going to play music again. And then I just, <laughs> I just left. 
And, this is a man who's dedicated the last 20 years to music. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, that's sort of ironic. Now, reflecting, I think it was through getting into skateboarding that we would bring our boom boxes outside and put in CDs that we were listening to. And a lot of it was like pop punk music and rock. And it was great. It was so energetic and fun. And we would sing along to all of our favorite songs. And because they were on CD, it was start to finish. So you would like know the entire album, like the back of your hand. And it was so special. That was about the time that my older brother, Jake, purchased a used drum set from a friend for like $50. It was a piece of crap. Threw it in our basement. And that's where I got introduced to the drums. And that's what I do now is I'm a drummer and, and percussionist in, in the Twin Cities. And that was like... How different your life would have been if Jake never bought that drum set? Yeah, man. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I really don't know. You might um, have been a perhaps. <laughs> but I think I've always been really interested in making things and, and like coming up with ideas, whatever that meant, solving problems or making something just for the sake of making it has been something that I've always loved doing. And in college, I went back and forth quite a bit whether or not I should go into engineering or music performance. And it has always been like this, you know, I'm not really sure what would be the best use of like me as a person in terms of what I have to offer this world. And now I'm exploring user experience design, which is engineering in a way, but it, it has a lot more creativity involved because you're coming up with like the idea for solutions yeah. rather than the, the solution itself. And that's the part that I love, a combination of being an inventor, an artist, and a doctor where you have to like diagnose <laughs> yeah. and come up with some remedy for what's happening. And it's been a lot of fun for music. Music is so powerful and, and has always inspired and has left me in awe and, and wonder. And that's what draws me towards music. There's like an unmatched potency and emotion behind music that I don't get from anything else. It's something about self-expression, but I, I'm also so interested in discipline and like the art of practice. Like I'm, I'm finding myself more and more drawn to that as I am to like the things themselves. Interesting. You know? Yeah. In the conversation that I had with Marcus last week and reflecting back on my own life, I feel like the through link is none of us were creating in the field that we actually ended up in when we started creating. And I think that's really powerful and really interesting. Is from a very, very young age, we've all had this urge to bring things into the world. And that inclination has eventually found the medium where we feel like, oh yeah, this feels right. But I also think then that as a professional creative, like once you settle on a medium, it becomes very hard to navigate out of that. Yeah, like <laughs> for me, like transitioning from being like an opera singer to a drink maker was a huge transition. And you, you have all these people in your life being like, yo, dude, what are you doing? Like, like you're, you're an opera singer. This is, this is what you do. This is what you've done. What are you doing? Like making drinks. These things have nothing yeah. in common. And I feel like that could be what it looks like to the outside world with what you're doing now, like with music and user experience design. It's like these right. things have nothing in common, but like at the end of the day, they really do. The more that I sit down and I think about it, it's like, okay, my passion doesn't necessarily lie with music or with coffee or with photography or with writing. My passion, what I love to do is bring something into the world that did not exist before and share it with other people. Yeah. At the heart of it, that is what I love to do. And the medium, it's the toolkit. It's that tool belt that you use to create those things. And we can have natural tendencies and inclinations towards different mediums. But I feel like as a creative, we just need to create and we need to allow ourselves the freedom to say, hey, like, I know this is my medium. This has been my medium, but what's at the core of this? Is it just that I like playing drums a lot and I know that like you love playing drums? 
you love bringing things into the world. Can I find that same fulfillment of being a creative in a different way? And I think that mm-hmm. journey and that evolution is is super interesting. That you know, there's this kind of constant modularity that happens in the lives of a lot of creatives where it's like I I love this thing but I also love that thing and this thing and that thing and just that urge to create is just this through thread that I feel like everybody has and you know it from a very 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 young age like my mom tells stories about us going to country buffet and me like taking the salt and pepper shakers and the little sugar and putting it in the cream and making these little concoctions that I would force them to drink I I feel like if, if you just know, like, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, Ryan, do you remember when we were in Boy Scouts and we would come up with our potions? <laughs> yeah, do, you, do you remember? I mean, that was, that was like your first, <laughs> that was your first drink. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and we would, crazy, we would, we would pour fun dip and Mountain Dew <laughs> and that stuff was dank. I'm rain not pops <laughs> and <laughs> oh my god, yeah. I but need, but I need to bring some of those recipes back to the shop. But to your point, I think the fundamental component of being a creative is noticing things. Yeah, and like being aware of the beauty of what is outside of yourself. For me, it was always observing just being in complete love and admiration for things that existed in this world, whether it's clouds or trees. I mean, I'm super drawn to nature, but it's also falling in love with the work that other people create. For me, it's grown complicated as I have become a professional working creative It's been complicated to the point where I myself have felt very removed from that awe and inspiration. And rather than thinking about all of those motivating and inspiring factors, I'm thinking about where's my next gig? Do I have all of my gear? Do I know the music? Have I practiced enough? Do I have enough money to pay rent? And, you know, having to think about all of those things, I think really has gotten in the way of what truly inspires me about being a creative or being a musician. 100%. I think there's two really important things there. The first is to be an amazing creative, you have to be an amazing observer. You cannot separate those two things. You also have to have a certain degree of humility about what you observe. I always think it's really funny when people think that they've had this fully original thought because 10 times out of 10 that's total bs like 100 (laughs) percent it is is like impossible to have a fully original thought now what isn't impossible is to be inspired by many things and put those things together in a combination a novel combination that maybe hasn't been tried before i think that inspiration runs both ways you can see something and be inspired by it oh i love the way this person makes drinks i love the way this person plays like i'm that inspires me i'm gonna go that direction or you can be inspired in the opposite way like a lot of what discourse was which is this is what everybody else is doing so i'm gonna do that thing that thing that isn't what everybody else is doing and you know but both of those things are reactions to observation and that's what the human condition is that's what relationship is what sort of character would you have if you never interacted with anybody and you never learned from anybody it's like we're not here to exist in a vacuum or to claim that we live in a vacuum or pretend that our ideas are original they may be original in the sense that you can't trace it back to anything in particular, but all we are is a collection of our past experiences. Absolutely. And those past experiences, even though we are the ones that are, are experiencing them, we're only experiencing them because of everybody else yeah. and, and their contributions. And that's the way it should be. I mean, I don't think... It exists in a vacuum. It can't exist in a vacuum. And, and I, I think that's a big, big wake-up call if you feel like your creativity has stalled out, if you feel like your inspiration has stalled out, like get your ass up and move to a place where you're going to be inspired. Do things totally. that will inspire you. 
Be around people that will inspire you. Put yourself in situations where you will be inspired. Because Absolutely. you're not going to be sitting on your couch someday and then immediately have this inspiration surge into your chest. It doesn't work like that. You know, we, <laughs> we, we have to be inspired to create. I think the first like, meaningful thing I can remember creating was a mini book called The Lone Strider. And it's like 50 pages and it's, you know, it was inspired by like little books that I was reading. I was like, oh, I could write a story like this, you know? And, you know, of course these people are like professional writers and I'm this eight year old kid, but like, it, it doesn't matter. Like it, it's just, you be, you be inspired by the things that are around you, by the things that you consume, you know? And if you are constantly around negative influences, if you are constantly around negative experiences, if you are constantly feeding your mind and your body and your soul trash, guess what you're going to create? Well, and also it takes the act of creating to understand and appreciate how hard it is to create. Yes. <laughs> you know, like Netflix is a great example. These are multi-million dollar TV shows for free to anybody that has a Netflix account. Yeah. And it's like you watch it and people's expectations get higher and higher and higher and the demand gets greater and greater and greater for these great shows. And they're great for a reason. you like, they're super good. And it's not until you watch a show that has like, a slightly smaller budget or a different artistic direction where you're like, I don't like that. Why am I watching this? Yeah, yeah. And then you go to create your own film and you're like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and again, like, I think that's the humility that you spoke to earlier. And I think you and I are both extremely privileged and fortunate to have been brought up in the the, the type of environment that we were brought up in where we were experimenting with, or I'll speak for myself, I was experimenting with writing books. I, the first book I ever wrote was in yeah. second grade. Yeah. Uh, we when, were probably writing our books about the same time. Yeah. <laughs> mine was called Super Duck and Fred, and it was about a superhero named Super Duck, <laughs> wore a cape, and Fred was a robot. It was kind of like a cross between... Sounds like Captain Underpants. Yeah, it was like a cross between Captain Underpants and Spongebob. <laughs> like, <laughs> Which, by the way, if you haven't read Captain Underpants, you are missing... That was, that was my, my jam <laughs> back then. But so, so yeah, Super Duck and Fred. And then in middle school, I was experimenting a lot with videography because that was about the time that digital cameras were able to record video. Yeah. And started my own like film production. Film productions, shouts out. It, yeah, crazy score. Well, it, it started out as gym films. And then it 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 got turned into uh, Crazy Squirrel. And and that was so much fun. Like <laughs> we were writing scripts, we were improvising, we were doing angles, like different shots. We were it's so hard to do that now. I mean, and, uh, like, this is, like, this is something that I'm super interested in because, like, I feel there's this very, very, very strange relationship between um, knowledge and technical skill and the ability to be creative. And yeah. to me, it's kind of like the journey of being drunk. When you mm. just start being drunk and you're like tipsy, you know, it's like you, you have a little bit of creativity, you know, you have a little bit of technical skill. And then right in the middle, like when your technical skill is like not huge, but not like, you know, some stuff like I think that's when we are most creative. You know, it's like we're, we're starting to burgeon with this technical ability. We're starting to burgeon with these ideas. Uh, and then eventually you get real drunk or in this analogy, you get really technically skilled. And I actually think it, it kind of gets harder to create freely when you have an enormous amount of technical skill because you are holding yourself to such a high standard that to me, it's harder to create freely, you know, to just like drop the, like drop the, okay, I know that this should be done this way. And I know that this should taste this way. And I've had a thousand of these and it, it, this is how this should be. And like, I feel like when we don't know, 
it's it's actually a little bit easier to to like dream and explore and experiment and and when we know and when there are expectations on us from from the outside of people who you know like oh he's a very skilled drink maker or he's a very skilled drummer like now you have all this like pressure and i feel like it's it's harder to create under that pressure cooker than internal and external than it is to like come into a medium and just like create but you know i like how, what, I what think, do you think about that like where do you feel that balance lies between like having that pressure and that technical ability and knowing that like there are expectations that you put on yourself and expectations that other have, have put on you and and how do you balance that with your ability to just be free and creative and relaxed yeah that's something I've been thinking about a lot for a while now. I would say ever since I graduated from college, what I'm realizing now is that the ability to to reach that place of creative freedom that you're speaking of, that like drunken place of yeah. self-expression, that as I understand it is a practice in itself. And I think for me, I've always I've always struggled with technical ability on my instrument on drums and that's not necessarily because I'm bad or I can't do it but it speaks to the expectations that I have held for myself versus being real with like where I'm actually at yeah there's a lot of musicians, particularly drummers. There's a lot, a lot of drummers that get infatuated with the physicality of the instrument and playing really fast and playing a lot of notes because it feels good. Like it, 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 there's something very physical, very physically rewarding about drumming and it's therapeutic in a lot of ways. To be honest, like that aspect of it never resonated with me super deeply. Yeah. For me, I always have been more interested in serving the song and serving music, whatever that meant. I think because my approach has always been that, I've struggled a lot with the technique because I'm not just sitting on a pad doing crazy technique exercises all day. I'm thinking about other things and, and that's okay. But now I'm at the point where I am realizing that in order for me to express myself in the way that I want to, I need a higher foundation of technique. Yeah. And I think as long as your journey is guided by you expressing yourself in an honest way, that will inform how you go about improving your technique. And then it's less of a game, like when you are on the bandstand or when you are being expected to contribute something, it's checking back in with yourself and being able to focus and to meditate in a place where you're being honest with yourself and you are building from the ground up rather than you are trying to meet some sort of expectations either that you have for yourself or other people have on you. Yeah, that's where great art comes from. It's, it's like, if I can be an instrument for whatever is informing my decisions, like let it be. But in order for me to be the best instrument, and by instrument, I mean like a conduit. Like, yeah, totally. I'm not creating these ideas. No, like none of these are mine. And we talked about that. But how can I do it in a way that doesn't distort the idea itself? To be as transparent as possible. Absolutely. And that's really tough. I, I live in this body and my body has limitations. And so in order for me to be transparent, I need to sit with myself and understand my limitations and work with them and basically train them. It's like my body is my pet. I have to train my pet to do what I want it to do when the time comes. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, well, and I just want to focus back on your comment about accessing that creative space. Yeah, like, that is a practice that is so, so vitally important 
all it takes is a bit of practice with yourself, full-heartedly believing that you can access that space and more importantly, that you are meant to access that space. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm working on a book right now for discourse and a big part of what I'm talking about in the book is that I feel that as kids, we have this penchant towards play. Like we love play. And I feel as we get older and our lives become more serious and we take on more responsibility, play becomes something that we welcome less and less into our lives. And I really, truly feel if we open ourselves up to play and we open ourselves up to the idea that not everything we do, no matter what our level of technical skill is, not everything we do is going to be great. And that's huh. okay. That's oh my okay. gosh. <laughs> you know, like, and coming to terms with that and being okay with it. Because I feel like when you make being a creative your vocation, it's really tough. Because we, as a society, derive so much of our self-worth from our jobs and from what we do. Everybody wants to be good at their job. There is not one person on earth, no matter what they do, that goes into work saying, I want to be bad at this. You, know, yeah. you cannot care. That's fine. But you don't actively ever want to be bad at your job. You, you want to be good at your job. Like you, you want, you know, and so I think when you are entangling that like underlying psychological principle with the fact that so many creatives, myself included, wrap an enormous amount of their self-worth around their ability to create really wonderful things like you know it, it becomes this super super pressurized space where it's like mm -hmm. if you don't create good things you're bad at your job and you're bad at being a creative and and what else is left like what, what do i have you know and and like we we have to be able to open ourselves to the idea that no matter how good you are no matter how many years you've been playing drums you are gonna miss a fill at some point doing a show and that <laughs> doesn't make you a bad creative and, and, and no matter how many years I've been making drinks, I'm gonna make a couple bad drinks before I get to the best one. Yes, I think that's where it's so important to shift your value. It's like when I started playing music, it was just fun. And it was like just yeah. a release and I sucked. And I didn't care, like it didn't you matter. It. You love it. Yeah, totally. And then there was this period of time where you start to become aware of what other people are doing and how you compare with those people. Or perhaps you're wrapped up in some sort of college program or you're doing things professionally or there are expectations that are tied to your output in one way or another. Right. And that interferes with that playfulness because now you have to meet some sort of demand, whether it's internal or external. Yep. And, and that's no good. You will never make your best work that way. I really want to like put that message out to the world. It's like, drop the pressure. Allow <laughs> yourself to play. You will make way better work. Yeah, I think that is such an important lesson. And I think that's really hard for our generation particularly because you know, those of us that are between the ages of 20 and 40 are an unprecedented generation in terms of what resources we have available to work with. Absolutely. It can be easy to compare ourselves with those of a previous generation or those in different circumstances. But my reality has been, it's really tough making a living, being an independent drummer. And I have experience, but like there are plenty of people out there that have much more experience than I do. Yeah. And those people that are top tier, they're barely able to make a living doing what they do. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, if I don't have resources, enough resources where I feel like I can play, then what's going on? Yep. I'm trapping myself in, in this box where I'm supposed to play, but I can't because I'm so worried about all of these external things. Totally. And so that's why I'm embracing a new idea, a new concept for income, because that has been super stressful for me. And especially with the pandemic, Yeah. there's no telling what the entertainment industry is going to be like music particularly and i i don't know i mean 
I want to get back to that place where I feel like a kid again. Yeah. And I've learned so much about myself these past five years where I know the work that I have to do to get to where I want to be. I know the people that I need to surround myself with. Yep. I have the tools. In a lot of ways, I have the time, but I don't have the salary. <laughs> yeah. And if that is, <laughs> if that is, to live. <laughs> yeah. And if that's the thing that I need right now, like it's okay to seek that out. Totally. I think there's years where I was telling myself that if I sought making a living doing something else other than music, that I'm failing at being a drummer or I'm failing at what it was I set out to do. And that's a super toxic relationship or that was a super toxic relationship that I had with myself. And I'm still getting over it every day. It, it gets a little bit better, but it's this reconciling of what defines me is not being a professional drummer. Like I'm so much more than that. Like that might be, that might be an aspect of what I do. And I love that aspect of it, but I have so much more to offer this world and I need to respect myself more than I, I have been. Yes. A hundred percent. I remember right after you signed up for the UX design school, two weeks later, you sent me a song that you had just written. And I remember you saying like, I feel now more free and open to create than I have in a long time of pursuing a career as a professional drummer. You know, so it's, <laughs> it's so ironic. It, it is really, really ironic, but it's, it's that pressure cooker situation. You know, it's like as soon as you depressurize your creativity, it becomes so much easier to just create because totally. there's nothing depending on it. I found myself in these positions with discourse, my coffee shop, where you are at this intersection of passion and profit. And for me, when I opened discourse, it was purely a passion project. I had a little bit of business behind it, but it was really more so like, I want to open this weird coffee shop. And you know, that's well and dandy for a while. And then you realize that, oh, like, crap, this has to sustain my life. Uh, and, <laughs> and if you have employees, it has to sustain their lives. And you start to find yourself at these intersections where like, okay, yeah, this is what I'm really passionate about, but nobody else seems to really care about this. It's not making any money for the business. I can't be spending 80% of my time on thing, something that's generating 10% of our revenue. And, and you have to find those compromises between what you're actually passionate about and what is actually going to create a sustainable living for you. I think by year three or four, I was spending maybe 20% of my time on drink creation and the other 80% on management and administration and ordering and payroll and advertising and all of these things that had nothing to do with what I originally set out to do. And I think those, <laughs> those moments of like, okay, where, where do you, when you get to that intersection, like, where do you go? Because you can't just stand there. I think a lot of people just stand there and they look at it and, and they're like, uh, 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 and then they like time out, you know, it's like game over. Yeah. Or they continue and that is doing it. Yeah. Like that but, is, but, that but is what it means. Artists, to but it. We've come to like glorify right like all creatives want to be this starving artist with ultimate integrity to their work you know and, and it's like exactly no like i don't want that like i don't want to starve i don't want to be 40 eating ramen like in a burnt down apartment like that isn't interesting you know we've we've glorified this thing that creates depression and anxiety and overwhelming amounts of stress you know I, I remember as kids man like we would listen to these bands and then they would sign on with a major record label and we would boycott it you know, we'd be like oh what sellouts like they suck you know and now, and now after like almost a decade of being a professional creative it's like oh i get it i yeah. totally get why motion city soundtrack signed on to epitaph what you know <laughs> like like you, you you come to understand that man this kind of sucks there is that like balance and where do you draw that line for yourself you know like when does it get to be to that point where it's okay my artistic integrity is worth more than that revenue and when is it okay to make those compromises and say like okay this maybe isn't exactly the vision i want to present to the world but this is the vision that the world wants me to present to it 
and this is the version that the world is willing to sustain me for? And when does that become more important? Does that ever become more important? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really hard question to answer. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot packed into everything that you just said. But I think you hit the nail on the head. So we live in a society where it's so consumer oriented from the food we eat to the drinks we drink to the music we listen to. It's all very, very consumer oriented. And how as kids are we supposed to know that? And and I think that's where a lot of these illusions illusions are born as a kid for me it was like going to Summerfest and seeing this massive stage these great musicians on stage and they're heroes to me and like that's all I want to do is like get on a stage and do what they're doing and there's no transparency with what that life actually is like and if there is a transparency whether that be like a documentary or an interview or whatever it might be it's so distorted to meet what people want to hear. Right. And I think that's really dangerous. And I think it causes people to rely very heavily on goals that have to do with achieving some sort of Well, goals that thing. don't exist. Well, for instance, like for me, a, a big goal of mine was to play on a certain stage. Yeah. That is an external goal because if I get to play on that stage, no matter when that happens, I will have achieved that goal. Yep. And I think because we live in a society that places such heavy value on those external things, on consumerism, on capitalism, we are left to grapple with the lack of our inner goals or our process goals. 100%. It's easier to see the external goals. It's easier to see and relate to them. Absolutely. The more I talk to people that have played those stages, that have achieved those external goals that I hope to achieve someday, those people are focused on the process goals. And, And so what I'm learning and what I have been learning for the past few years is that my obsession or my infatuation with the idea of being a musician or a professional musician, a successful musician, has really clouded my respect for my own process goals and my own journey itself. By not focusing on playing drums for a living right now, I've been able to take a step back and appreciate the process for what it is without having to think about making money. If you know you have to make $2,000 a month to meet your basic needs, that is an external goal. Yeah. And if those external goals outweigh the process goals, then you're not going to be happy. I, I wasn't happy. I actually think that those reoccurring external goals are less dangerous. If it's like, okay, I need to do this thing every month, because I need to pay my rent. For me, I know like when I started discourse, it was like, okay, I'm going to be in this magazine and this magazine and this magazine. And I know for you as a musician, it was like, I'm going to play in this hall and this hall and this hall. And you know, both of us in our careers thus far, we've achieved a lot of those things. I was in Food and Wine. I was in Barista Magazine. You played the Majestic. You know, you played amazing stages that you wanted to play. And you know, I feel like achieving those kind of lofty pie in the sky external goals, it's consumer culture brought into motivation it's like buying something you buy something you've wanted for a long time you have it it's amazing for like three days and then you just have it and that's it it doesn't doesn't continue to like bike your serotonin and and that's kind of how i felt about every time i've been in a any piece of press i read that article it's awesome i feel super good that day and then the next day everything is back to normal life is hunky-dory and i spent the last however many years trying to do this one thing that happened in an instant and if you only focus on that instant let me tell you right now everybody that instant comes and goes real fast yeah real fast (laughs) And, totally. and what really matters is all of the time that you spent getting to that moment. 
And mm-hmm. if you can cherish and appreciate the present, you know, as cliche as that carpe diem, seize the day, live in the present, be here now, as cliche as that is, it's also true as hell. If you are constantly futurizing, you will get to your future and it will be your past. And now you're just going to be in another future scenario and another, and, and the goals are going to get loftier and loftier and the pressure is going to get higher and higher. And unless you achieve these more and more and more ridiculous and lofty endeavors, you aren't going to allow yourself to feel satisfied. And mm. that's fine. That's a way to proceed in life. But if you can, you know, like you said, Luke, if you can focus on process goals, the rest is going to take care of itself. You know, but yeah. you, you have to be a student and an acolyte of the process and not of the reward. It's great to set specific goals. It is great to set specific goals. But don't let those specific goals take away from everything that you have to do to get there. Yeah, I think something I talk a lot about with my friends and colleagues and mentors and teachers is the distinction between expectations and aspirations. And I think if you set an external goal, again, we'll take the playing a certain stage yeah. example. If that is your goal and you're, you're doing everything you can to achieve that goal, there's a lot that goes into doing that thing that's outside of your control. And so if those stars don't align, then you're setting yourself up for some disappointment. Totally. And <laughs> totally. that's what happened with me. I mean, I was disappointed time and time again and not happy with my progression and not happy with where I was at at certain periods of time. And it was because I set so many expectations for where I thought I should be at 28 years old. Having the skill and the ability to shift those expectations, those external goals into aspirations You can aspire to play a stage or to play with somebody whose music that you really love, but in reframing it as an aspiration, you're acknowledging that there's a chunk of that journey that is outside of your control. Yes. And it becomes more of a direction than a destination. It becomes okay to take a little bit longer to get there. Not only does it become okay, but it becomes a hell of a lot more fun. Absolutely. Because then you're just, it's like you're in the middle of the ocean and you're like setting your sail, you know, a certain direction and you just enjoy the ride. And if you get there, like, cool. And if you don't, you'll, I guarantee you, you'll run into so many other cool islands and places along the way. Right. If you allow yourself to. Yes. Otherwise, you just never get there and you hated the whole freaking sail. Totally. Right. And, and that's, that's, what, that's the danger. At the height of your pursuit of being a professional musician, how many hours a day would you say you spent either practicing or playing or trying to book gigs? Like how, how much of your waking hours was dedicated to being a professional musician? Oh my God. Most of it, I imagine. It's hard to like quantify. I, I would say in college, I was practicing between three and five hours a day. After that, there were stretches during the quarantine where I would be practicing between two and three hours. Before that, I was putting in between three and four, practicing behind the kit, doing exercises and stuff like that. But yeah, a a lot of time spent behind the computer as well, sending emails and doing administrative stuff for both of the bands I play in. And when you're not playing, you're thinking about playing. So it's like you're kind of playing. Well, I mean, there's so much administrative work. It's kind of like what you were describing with this course. It's like, how do you make a living? How do you pay people? How do you pay yourself? Taxes, meetings, and just there's so much more that goes into any sort of like revenue generating thing. That stuff is so not sexy. When I thought about opening discourse, it was like, okay, the moments that I pictured were like being in a magazine, handing a customer a drink that they were like, oh, I love this and clinging the cash register, right? And like inspiring my employees. And then like you get into it and you're like, oh, I'm spending a lot of time like doing my taxes and (laughs) finally my accounting. And it's like, you never think about that stuff, but like you spend an enormous amount of time doing it. You know, so like as a creative, if you were going to make a living out of this at the beginning, be prepared to be your own accountant, your own lawyer, your own HR, like you are, you are everything. That's something you got to be ready for. Because I know this is something I've struggled with 
with for years and just now finally taking a little bit of a break from discourse, I'm, I'm starting to rebuild kind of a sense of who I am without that. When you are dedicating so much of your life to something, mm-hmm. I think it can be really hard to separate your performance in that thing with your performance as a human being. When you're in these upstretches of your creative profession, you feel like a superhero. There is nothing in the world that can stop you. And then when you're on the downstretches, you feel entirely worthless as a, <laughs> as a human. Over the years of you doing music, did you develop any strategies or any tools or any techniques that you found helped to alleviate that extreme connection and allow you to have have a sense of touch with who Luke Rivard was as a human outside of Luke Rivard, professional drummer? Yeah, it's something that I struggle with a lot. A lot of creative people do. You know, I I think it's funny when people ask me, like, what do you like to do for fun? (laughs) And it's like, uh, (laughs) gosh, that's a great question. (laughs) To be honest, my partnership with Haley has helped quite a bit because she has a very different perspective on what it means to be an artist, I think, than I do. And having somebody by your side that observes you and is there with you as a human being, more so than an artist, really shines light on the areas of your humanness that you are not being attentive to. You feel like you're being seen. I I can relate to that so, 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 so strongly. And I don't know if you've had similar experiences. After we were on Wisconsin Foodie the first time, so many people come in to the shop and they're like, oh, oh, you're the guy. Like, I, I saw you on Wisconsin Foodie. And, and like, they feel like they know you. They feel like they see you and they don't. They see the person who they saw on TV. You know, and, and it's the same thing. You walk off the stage, you get like five fans coming up to you. Like, they don't see you. They see the drummer that was on stage. You know, and I feel like the more we progress, the less that we are seen as a human, a, a living, breathing, functioning human outside of just a professional in our medium. And to have somebody who truly comes into your life and sees you, like, sees the human that maybe even you forgot about. I think Christina coming into my life, she saw a part of me that I forgot even existed. And it like reminded me that this thing existed and it made me want to come back into touch with this Uh, person, this reality that I had almost forgotten about because so much of my identity had become wrapped up in the person that I was expected to be. So I think it's really interesting that you say that because I feel strongly that that person seeing you, really seeing you, can be such a necessary break as a creative. And it's hard. I mean, it's tough to look at yourself in the mirror in an honest way and to come to terms with that. It's super important. I'm, I'm experiencing that right now as it relates to this program. And it's not easy. It's not easy. You know, I think that's kind of where we can wrap up is when I first started, and I told a couple of people my idea and, and my business model basics. Everybody, everybody was just like, oh, that's so great. Like, I'm, I'm so happy for you. That's amazing. It's amazing. And I really wish just one person would have like slapped me and been like, dude, are you sure? Like, you're 23. You know how much work this is, right? If you're successful, you're going to be doing the thing you love less and less, the more successful you get. Like, I I really wish someone would have just sat me down and said, like, this is what you're really looking at. Because as beautiful and as glamorous and as wonderful as we imagine a life as a creative to be, it's hard. I'm really into photography right now. In the photography class, I'm taking a phenomenal teacher and photographer named Zach Arias. And one of the things he, he talks about towards the end of the class is every photographer who's ever been interviewed in the history of ever is like, oh, yeah, I photograph people and it's amazing. And I, I ride to my shoot on my unicorn and then I, I go home and I edit my my pictures on a 60 inch screen and my life is just bliss. You know, reality, it's like you're shooting 20 different corporate headshots for disgruntled people to make money to put food on the table. Like the reality of it is hard. Being a professional musician is hard and it takes an enormous amount of work. Opening a coffee shop is hard and it takes an enormous amount of work. But at the end of the day, 
would you do it again? Yeah, totally. Like, yeah, it's hard, but it's also totally worth it. I mean, I, we wouldn't be able to have this conversation had we not done the things that we are doing. Absolutely. And I mean, people did tell me back when I was in high school and college, like, well, are you sure you want to... always been a, a hyper-realist. Yeah, so like, are you sure you want to... Like, Oh uh, sure. yeah, you, you do that. <laughs> but but even not my dad would yeah. question, are you sure you want to do this? Like, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And my answer was, I don't know. Yeah. But I want to try and see what it is. And I am abandoning the idea that there is such thing as a doing it or like going that route. All I have is my own experience and I have the small choices that I can make every day. And if there's a way that I can use honesty as my compass for making those small decisions, that's all I can do. Yep. And that I think for me will result in a more fulfilling life because then I know that I'm directing myself towards the most honest version of myself. And what more can you ask for? Then as a musician, I'm playing from a place of honesty. And when I'm designing, I'm designing from a place of honesty. And when I'm talking with somebody, it's all coming from the same place. Yep. And not only is that, I think, a useful strategy, you know, to operate, but also I think it's super efficient because I don't need to think about wearing different hats for different things. I can just be myself. Yeah. It's harder at first to be honest with yourself to not just tell yourself the truths that you want to hear. It's harder at first, but it is so much better in the long run. I think that's an amazing place to wrap up this discussion. We could talk about this stuff for hours and hours and totally. hours. Totally. <laughs> but thank you so much, Luke, for coming on to Hot Coffee for the Creative Soul. Thank you for being a part of this project. And thank you for sharing your thoughts on creativity and what it's like to be a professional creative operating at this intersection of profit and passion. I really appreciate your thoughts and thank you for spending some time with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always great talking with you. joining me for episode two of hot coffee for the creative soul i'm your host ryan castellez of discourse coffee and you just listened to my conversation with the ever incredible luke rivard check out riverbug on spotify and youtube and hear that man's incredible incredible music i'm so unbelievably excited for next week where i am sitting down with the ever-venerable Lee Carter of 5 Watt Coffee and Big Watt Cold Brew based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Lee took a wild dream and turned it into a coffee company with four locations, strong and striving. 5 Watt was the first place that I had seen atomizers and bitters in coffee drinks, and in a huge way, Discourse would never have existed without what Lee created, and thus the power of true creativity to inspire creativity in 
others. I cannot wait for you to hear my conversation with Lee. Tune in next Friday for the hot drop of Hot Coffee for the Creative Soul, Episode 3, Lee Carter, right here on Spotify, Apple Music, or Corsair Radio. Thank you for joining me. And until next week, peace. Thank you.